Hello, everybody. This is the Black Financial Initiative with Larry, Eric, and Terrence. This is part two of our interview with Bradford Moy of Bradford C. Moy PLLC. He is a CPA and attorney. Let's get into it. Yeah, good good knowledge there. Appreciate you, Bradford. Bradford. Uh, also, you mentioned the home ownership a little bit earlier. So we have a question about that. So what are the tech tax benefits of being a homeowner and what is the homestead exemption and how does it affect your taxes? So I kind of briefly have already covered, you know, that main benefit um, from a federal income tax perspective of home ownership. And that comes down to, um, you know, in state, depending upon the state in Texas, we don't have a state tax, but there are, I'm sure there are listeners out there who live in states that do have state ta- state income taxes. Um, but the biggest things that you get from a tax perspective are the write-offs on a home. So the biggest ones are going to be the interest that you pay on that mortgage, taxes that you pay on that real estate, and depending upon your income and it, possibly your mortgage insurance premiums as well. Um, all three of those items are itemizable deductions and can help you reduce your overall tax bill more so than if you did not own a home at all. Also, with the, having home ownership, it usually going to usually if you have a home, it's even though there's the home office deduction and it does not require you to own your home and you can use it whether you're renting or owning. But generally, if someone's buying a house, it's usually bigger than the place they were renting prior to buying that house. That's usually how this thing goes. So another benefit of having that home ownership is going to be uh, an increased home office deduction um, if you know, you're self-employed or have some form of self-employment and utilize that deduction. Um, also, which, uh, and of course, home office deduction, the bigger the house, the bigger the deduction. Now I can just wrap some that up like that. Um, as far as the homestead exemption, and I know in the state, of, it varies from state to state, but in the state of Texas specifically, when you declare a house as your homestead and you apply for your homestead exemption, what it does is it gives you a lower real estate tax bill every year. So everyone pays taxes on their real estate on an annual basis. They assess that tax based on the the fair market value of what they think your real estate and land is worth. And based on that, they charge you a tax, which comes out your mortgage or escrow every year. When you have a homestead exemption on your property, whatever your value is of your house. So let's say they say your house is worth $100,000. House and land is worth $100,000. They will automatically reduce that by $25,000. That's the amount. $25,000. So they will say, okay, your home is worth $100,000, but I'm going to reduce this because you have a homestead exemption. Your house is actually, from a taxable perspective, only worth $75,000. Not in real life, but just don't pay for, for tax purposes. So that means you're going to actually pay lower real estate taxes on your homestead because you had that exemption, because it's reduced your taxable value by $25,000. So homestead exemption, every, you know, if you don't have one, it's the first thing you want to do. You want to be looking into that as soon as you purchase wherever your main residence is. And um, earlier when you were talking about real estate, you mentioned home office deduction. Do you mind kind of telling us briefly what that is? So the home office deduction is a deduction for self-employed individuals or individuals with some form of self-employment that enables you to write off a portion of the expenses of your home that you are actually using to earn that self-employed income. So a lot of people who are self-employed and possibly possibly even have a side hustle, um, you know, 
they might not have enough money or even the need to go out and rent an office space somewhere and cover that expense. However, they're using an office or a room in their home to carry on all their trade and activities. They're making phone calls, printing up things, you know, having a space to work quietly. Um, you know, they're actually, they do truly have a home office. So um, in the spirit of encouraging entrepreneurship, the IRS encourage, uh, developed that, that, that write-off, which enables you, if you have a home, and it enables you to write off a portion of all the expenses of your home and apply those towards your, to deduct those from your self-employed income as a deduction uh, for the home office deduction. And it's a real simple calculation. It's just based on the size of your home. That's why I said the bigger your home, the bigger the deduction. So let's say your home is a thousand square feet. And let's say you have a home office and it's in a 10 by 10 foot room, which means that's a hundred square feet. That's 10%. That, that 100 square feet is 10% of 1,000 square feet. So that means 10% of every single bill on your house is going to be deductible as your home office deduction. Hence, the bigger your home, the bigger the expenses, the bigger the deduction. It can offset income all day long on your Schedule C of your tax return. However, it cannot reduce you very, very far past, past zero. So if you got a $5,000 home office deduction and only $200 of income, once you get to zero, based upon the other numbers on your return, you might be able to utilize a few more $100 of that, but you are not. it's not going to let you just write off the whole deal. And that's obvious. And I think when you think about it, it's kind of obvious why they have that policy because then everyone could have a home office deduction, have no income, and just have a huge loss every year. And just say, yeah, well, you know, I had another $5,000, $10,000 loss this year on my home office deduction and, mm -hmm. and no income. And so, you know, in order to prevent people from trying to do that, that's why they have these caps in place on the home office deduction. But it's a great deduction. I use it. If you have a business, it makes no sense not to use it because you're not spending any extra money. You're just getting a write-off for the money you're already spending anyway. In, the, in that example you just gave, would you be able to transfer some of that money to the next year? Yes. And so under certain formulas, you can roll over that home office deduction to the next year and in perpetuity. Just a lot of times it really, a lot of times yeah. with that home office deduction, a lot of people probably don't ever get to really use all of it just because of the nature of the deduction and how it applies to the income. But yes, you can roll it over. And I know last time we spoke, you said that the home office deduction, you didn't have to be a homeowner before. I think when, before Trump, you could use that even if you're working, you know, for and you're a W-2 income. And, correct. and now that's changed to where you have to, before, you have to be. Correct. You have to be self-employed. Before yeah. um, the tax uh, change that Trump enacted, there was an itemized, another itemized deduction for employees and I know everybody hates this now, especially during these, <laughs> these past few years where everybody's working from home. But before uh, those Trump tax cuts went into effect and the tax code changed, the IRS would allow you to take that home office deduction as an itemized deduction when you worked at home on behalf of your W-2 employer. However, that was one of the changes that happened. And of course, nobody could have foreseen 
what was coming the, in the in the in the next one to two years after that. I'm sure maybe that would have stayed on the books, but you know, yeah. here we are today. Have Have you seen anything else? I guess since Biden's came into office, as far as like tax laws, any significant tax laws you've seen since Biden's been in office? I expect the issue with I haven't seen anything too major. So as far as like a major tax overhaul, like what happened with the Trump tax cuts and changing the tax codes, I would have expected something like that to be on the horizon. But just out of the pure politics of the way they've been having trouble getting a lot of things done, I don't think the tax code is going to, there are going to be any significant changes or overhauls, at least in this first term of the, of the administration. Maybe on the second term, they can make something happen. But I would not, you know, the way things are now, I would expect them to be the same at least for the next couple of years. You know, they they definitely, you know, the child tax credit has gone up from 2000 to 3600. There are a few other little nuanced deductions out there, some things that you know, I won't go too deep in the weeds too, but there are for self-employed individuals, some to talk to your tax professional about. Um, it's very, it's brand new and it definitely has a, a somewhat complex calculation and the factors in prior year income but there is an actual credit out there, refundable credit, meaning even I mean, when, you, when you hear tax credits, they're either refundable or non-refundable. That means if you have a tax, a non-refundable credit can offset that tax, but that's all it can do. Once it's offset all the tax, that's it. If you have a refundable credit, it can offset the tax and whatever's left, you can, can be sent to you as a refund. So. If you have $500 worth of tax and $1,000 of non-refundable credits, all you can use is 500 and that's it. You have no tax bill. If that's a refundable $1,000 credit, you offset that $500 and you get $500 refund back in your pocket. With that being said, there is a self-employed credit specifically addressed to if COVID impacted you and had you down or had you sick or prevented you from earning income. And so I, I advise that's definitely something that you want to talk to your tax professional about. That's something new and unique that I've seen. Also, be, another thing due to the COVID relief is meals. The meals, uh, one, of, one, of, one of the biggest expenses that every single self-employed person <laughs> writes off is what they spend on business meals and meals. Typically, the general rule is those are 50% deductible. However, for, because of COVID and on 2021 tax year, they are allowing everyone to write off what's normally 50%, 100% of the meal expense. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it just everybody can get that. You don't have to do anything special. The same thing you've always been doing, except for this year. And it's probably a one year only, one year only. You can write yeah, off so 100%. Take advantage, of take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. So, and they took away the entertainment, day. right? They took away the entertainment, right? Correct. They took away entertainment a while ago. Uh, I believe that was part of the Trump tax reform as well. So entertainment was the difference between taking clients or um, customers or, you know, a business meal between taking somebody to a basketball game and ordering food there. You know, that whole thing would have been 50 percent off. But once they took away the entertainment portion, that would mean that the basketball game, the tickets for the game itself are not deducted. But the food that you buy while you're there is deductible. Just a little example between the meals and entertainment. So it's just strictly meals. 
You know, one of the things that uh, I guess came prevalent during the pandemic was the the PPP loans. I, I wish a lot of people would listen to our first episode. They might not be in trouble like they are now. Scammers. They coming for them. Yeah. <laughs> the government won't go, won't go come back for it. Yeah, they, they really thought it was just free money. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, that PPP on that, they got a bunch of people. You see it on social media and stuff. Everybody, every day it seemed like somebody new is caught up. But um, yeah, I guess for the next question about our taxes is what are some of the end of year tax saving strategies that you can uh kind of share with some of our listeners, such as the tax harvest, tax harvesting. Okay, so so tax harvesting, that is basically where people at the end of the year, they look and they say, and this is strictly with mostly with stock transactions. And these days, it will probably be Bitcoin more than anything. That's what's getting a lot of people into trouble with crypto or Bitcoin. You know, a lot of people overnight, you know, I bought it. I spent a couple hundred dollars and now I got five hundred thousand dollars of income and I don't even know what I have. And so it's. Um, so a lot of people find it. So as far as the tax harvest, so that's where basically everyone knows, you know, if you buy stock, you buy crypto, you buy Bitcoin, you sell it at a profit, it's going to be subject to capital gains tax. You sell at a loss, it's subject to capital gains losses. At the end of the year, somebody might look and say, hey, I made all this money this year in capital gains. I want to reduce some of these gains. The only way to offset capital gains is with capital losses. So at the end of the year, individuals might wait and say, okay, I want to go ahead and move a lot of these bad positions that are going to put me at a loss. So that way I can offset some of this income so I'm not taxed so bad and I can deal with this loss. It's fine. But I'd rather have this loss than the tax bill. So I would say for something like that, it's the same question. It comes down to where you are on your tax position in the year, you know, having the conversation with your tax advisor and your financial advisor, if, if you know, if they may, unless you're just, you know, kind of doing this yourself. And then this is really just a simple math number. It's okay. What is my tax return going to look like if I don't, if I, at my current capital gains, and then what is it going to look like if I'm able to offset some of those capital gains? So, I think it can be good. It can be a great tool to use. However, something to be cautious of is the wash loss rule. And so that is the IRS knows people might try to offset their income by selling stock at a loss. Okay. However, the IRS has certain rules in place prevent you from being able to overly abuse that. And by that, I mean, you can't buy, buy a stock at 100 on Monday, sell it at a loss on Tuesday, and then buy it again within a certain amount and then buy it again on Thursday. Uh, you know, you can, and maybe I'll use numbers. You can't buy it at a hundred on Monday, sell it, a, sell it at 50 on Tuesday. And then now you got a $50 loss, but then go buy it at, you know, 65, 70 on, on, on Thursday and then sell it again for another loss. And then try to say, man, look at all these losses I have. The IRS, that's what, that's what you call a wash loss. And it will be disallowed. It will be. It will be disallowed. You will. You will see. You will get your statement, and you'll see your income. You'll see your loss, and then they'll they'll have a special box carved out just for you that says wash losses, and they will automatically already have that calculated and say, yeah, you're not allowed to use any of these losses, sir. And that'll be. It. 
And when you file, you would have done all that for nothing and paid those extra fees just to end up with a close or similar tax bill. So tax harvesting can work. It definitely, you know, it, it can be used. All you have to do is just plan it out, talk to your tax professional. And if you're at the position where you're where you have that level of capital gains that you're going to require something like that, or you think you're ready to harvest, you probably got either a tax professional and or a finance guy and somebody that you can discuss this with. So capital gains, isn't there a time frame to where it's taxed um, at, a, at a, I guess, a lower amount? Is there a, like a year or something like that? Correct. So the difference between short term and long term capital gains is that you need to hold the item, hold that asset for at least a year. So that's the difference, at least a year to, to, to take it from being a short term asset. Anything that you sell with it, buy and sell within 12 months is, is going to be a short term transaction. It's going to be taxed at a higher capital gains rate, still lower than your regular income tax rate, but it's going to be taxed at a higher capital gains rate. Um, however, when you have a long-term transaction, something that you held for longer than at least a year or longer before you sold it, it's going to be taxed at a lower capital gains rate. Um, and those rates vary based upon the length of time that you build the asset and other income factors as well. Cool. Cool. Good information. Well, let's hop into the next thing. For all the people with kiddos out there, what are some of the tax saving ways for people with kids that we can use? Definitely, definitely. So as I've already discussed, you know, everyone, there's the child tax credit out there. Two biggest things are the child tax credit and the child independent care credit. So mm. we had a special and unique situation with 2021 in that they actually advanced, they called them, you know, child tax credit advances. They pretty much fronted your credit in advance, a portion of it to a lot of taxpayers. So basically that's not extra income. It's not anything like that. They didn't give you anything more than what you were already getting. They just gave you a part of your child tax credit in advance, and it will be reconciled when you file your 2021 tax return. So the maximum child tax credit is $3,600 for 2021, and then it drops down to $3,000. So that's $3,600 for a child five and under. And then it drops down to $3,000 for kids six through 17 at the end of 2021. Um, as far as the child in the, as the child independent care credit, that's also something to, the child, as far as the child independent care credit, that's also something to take advantage of as that is a credit uh, for individuals where where they have to incur child care and daycare expenses in order in order for them to continue to earn wages. And the reason I was uh, getting tripped up about because one thing with the child independent care credit, if you're married filing jointly, both spouses have to work and have earned income. You can't have one, it can't just be one W-2 or one 1099, even if it's unemployment income. Both spouses have to have earned income in order to take advantage. Now, if you're just a single person or a head of filing head of household, then of course, obviously only you need to have a job. But the whole purpose of the child independent care credit is to assist individuals so, it, so, so that they can go out and work and not have to worry about their children. So for that one, just the key thing to remember is both spouses uh, both in the, if, if, if it's a married filing jointly, both spouses have to work, have to have earned income. Um, if you're head of household, uh, then you obviously definitely have to have earned income in order to take advantage of the child independent care credit. 
far as the child tax credit, you know, by default, you meet the criteria, your kids will meet that age, uh, then you're good to go. So definitely kids and homes, two biggest assets you can, you can have when it comes to a tax return. You hear that, parents, when you get to work. <laughs> Man, that, uh, that child independent credit, that sounds like um, something really good because everybody knows how expensive daycare is. Yeah. So that, man. Cool. I'm sure it's on, I guess it's, I'm sure only a portion or percentage of that, I guess, is used on um, as far as the calculation of the daycare. Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. So they'll take, they'll take up to a maximum amount and then they'll apply a percentage. I believe it's 20%. um, And they'll apply a percentage of that. And that is the, there's the cap on it. And of Mm -hmm. course, with everything, it's bad. Even though you have to have earned income, if you have too much earned income, then it can start to phase you out. So like that's that's just that's why I don't even like I, I don't even want to go into specifics with numbers mm-hmm. and phase outs. I start, yeah. I'll lose people. But with every single thing we've discussed, everything changes based upon your income. Even though you can be have you can be eligible in every other way, but if you make too much or too little, then it's going to fluctuate and adjust the actual amount. With like with pretty almost everything we've discussed on this call. <laughs> yeah yeah all right so i have the next question if you have your own business uh, and have a 1099 what percent should you save if you do a 1099 given that you don't take out taxes so my general rule of thumb is i tell people you want to put aside at least 10 percent minimal at least 10 percent of everything that you come in you want to take that money put it. if you can save more and go up to maybe 15 to 20 great but i know that's you know could be challenging uh, for a lot of individuals taxpayers out there and self-employed individuals so i say at a minimum save 10 percent, and that 10 percent, in my opinion i like the idea of utilizing an online savings account something that's free and earns interest even though it's not a lot of interest but it's free something's better than nothing and your money's there so i'm talking about things like ally things like i know american express has one personal savings uh that american express.com Discovery. The Capital One. Yeah, tons of them out there. And the reason I like utilizing that online savings account is because it helps deter impulse, impulse buying or spending of those funds that you have designated for your taxes. So you start putting aside 10% of everything. And let's say you just putting it and transferring it into, you got a checking account and a savings account. And you're putting it into your checking, your savings account, you know, you might get to March, April, May, and you, you're looking at that account balance growing, and you know you might see something you want to buy. Whether you know something <laughs> might come up, you just might see something like, "Well, I can just take a little bit from that. I still plenty more left, you know, and I'm saving 15. Brad say just say 10, and, and so I can just <laughs> yeah. take this little five and spend it. And then you know it's a slippery slope. And you know some people are disciplined and can do it. A lot of people aren't. And so when you have that online savings account. Those funds sit in that account. It takes one to two business days minimum to get those funds back into your account to be able to even touch them. A lot of those, you know, these online savings cards, they don't come with cards for you to swipe and easily withdraw like they're in that account. Yeah. So that's why I say they cut down on that potential impulse spending or buying because, you know, if you want to buy something today, you're like, man, I really want to buy these shoes. I really want to buy, you know, this shirt. But this new TV, you know, you got to sit, you got to, you got to really want it because you got to cool down and wait two days for the funds to hit your account before you can go get the cash to go buy it. So, you know, my opinion is 10% minimum, 
and utilize an online savings account to just house those funds. And the great thing about it is if you get to the end, what I always tell people, you know, they're like, man, that's a lot of money. Or, you know, when I say 15 or 20, if you can do it, what I tell people is, well, you're not paying it to the IRS yet. You're just putting it in the savings account. If you get to the end of the year and you file taxes and you realize you saved more than you needed to, then you got you got yourself a spring bonus. (laughs) You know, you can do whatever you want to do with that money. It's there. It's not yours. So. Yes, you're taking it, you're saving it, you're not using it for which, whatever you want to use it for, but you've got it there. You've got a nice cash reserve. And then in the spring, you know, you have your own little refund. And if you need it, you've got it. If you don't need it, then you got cash. You know, you've got some extra cash. Consider it your end of the year bonus. I know um, we had um, we had um, a guest on earlier. She, you know, if it, she owns, owns a gym and she was talking about um, how at the end of the year, there's so many taxes and stuff like that. As a new business owner, you, you know, you don't realize that until you, you know, until you, to your business owner. So um, she learned how to save up for that. Um, so at, at the end of the year, she's, it, it wasn't an issue. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. Bradford, man, you gave us a lot of great information. Um, it, uh, anybody got any more questions or anything? And I don't know what this guy hasn't covered already. Oh, <laughs> I'm looking at the questions, like trying to think of something. I'm like, hey, Brad's just extremely detailed. He hits the points. Like he said, I think if he goes more into it, he will lose people. But like he said, the income levels and stuff, like he, all I can say is the guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Man, like you he knows everything. Definitely showing to everyone why you need that that tax professional on your side and that 100%. that financial specialist like because you don't know what you don't know so you need to talk yeah. to someone that does know and in this yeah. case that is that is bradford yeah D- definitely gave me some information that i didn't know about like as far as like the meals 100 percent. like I, I didn't realize that was going on right now um i don't have any children so you know, that's probably one of the reasons but i didn't know about the uh child uh i forgot what it was called an independent credit so i mean just definitely learn some stuff today so we appreciate it for sure no definitely definitely uh always always happy to be on here and uh also just wanted to shout out to my wife you know if anyone she's uh definitely she's self-employed and doing her thing as a uh a full-fledged realtor uh, out here in these houston streets so definitely oh, yeah. if anyone's what's, what's you know, the information? Uh, so yeah if anyone's listening and they're in houston in the houston area and they ready to sell uh, they can find her on Instagram or Facebook. It's at Blair Moy, uh, B-L-A-I-R-E-M-O-Y-E. Cool. Just that yeah, at, B- at Blair Moy. And so, you know, you all can find me. I'm on IG at, at BCM Firm, um, Bradford BCM, Bradford BCM Firm. Um, my website is bcmfirm.com. Cool. And speaking of Houston streets, man, I was there, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago or so for work. Man, it's hot out there right now, man. Y'all, y'all need y'all need to stay uh, safe, man. I hope <laughs> right now, <laughs> like every, every it's like two or three murders every day I, I see on the news. <laughs> man, that just depends on what side of town you be on. So, like, <laughs> going in the wrong place, bro. Like, like keep it a hundred. Like, I don't see that where I'm at. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> man, they well, went over there to visit them savages. <laughs> man but um man yeah no we, we really appreciate you again anybody have anything to say anything 
No, man, I really, we really appreciate you. I appreciate you for being on. I really appreciate the time to take out and everything you go through is just so detailed. Yeah, for real. Second that. Especially during tax season. I, I know you're busy. Yeah, for real. Well, <laughs> Especially during that time. All Probably good. hasn't even slept. <laughs> all, all good. I, I'll sleep after 415. So it's all good. <laughs> so yeah, 415, is that the uh, tax cutoff? 415, that's the that is the cutoff for everybody this year. So 415, unless you file an extension. All right, y'all. We got a little over a month. You better contact me. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we want to thank Bradford again. Please continue to listen. Please tell your friends. Please uh listen, look at our Instagram accounts. Please subscribe. Everybody, thank you. Oh, yeah, I did have one thing. Okay, go ahead. Uh, we're going to start uh, naming our fans. Since it's the Black Financial Initiative, we'll be calling our fans initiators. Yeah. And so if yeah. you hear us refer to initiators, that's for fans or people on the pod that are fans of ours and we're fans of them. So if you hear initiators, we're talking about you. Yeah. So. We want to start the movement. It's time for us to initiate that financial <laughs> mindset. There we go. Financial we go. literacy. That's right. That's what's up. That's what we're doing here. But, um, All right. Well, for everybody, thank you, everybody. Bye. Peace out. Peace.